1: Lock,
3: talk radio. It's time for the Hattit.com radio show. Hattit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook.
2: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 25th day of July 2019, We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser, and today we have Dr. Batch and uh, Bill Krieger on, Uh, and hopefully we're going to be able to answer some questions for y'all. If you have any uh, questions or comments, feel free to call in. We'd appreciate hearing from you. our call-in number is 347... Two three seven four eight one nine. now that call in number once again is three four seven two three seven four eight one nine and you hit number one and that'll bring you right into the queue here with us if we see you in here we'll we'll try to identify you and get you on the air uh, we do have a caller in here, a three oh one, I believe. Uh three oh one area code, do you have a question or comment before we get started?
4: Uh yes sir. Uh yeah my uh yeah I was calling um because well I have two questions actually, uh, for Dr. Bass. Uh one question is uh I wanna do a, a claim for diabetes because I was diagnosed with it after one year of leaving service, right? Um, yes. But I feel that I had the symptoms while serving. Um, you know, like, you know, I had like elevated blood sugars, but not to the point where they would be diagnosed as diabetes, right? But, you know, I think I felt the, I mean, I, I had adverse effects as a result of being pre diabetic, you know, while serving, but. Just so happened, you know, I didn't get diagnosed until, like I said, after the one year of uh, leaving service. So, I mean, I've also been diagnosed with sleep apnea. So I don't know if there's a way that, you know, there's a nexus there uh, where that could, you know, be linked to that. But I guess I just want to figure out how I can go about uh, mm-hmm. getting the diabetes, uh, you know, rated as service connected. Right. right. And then. Well, oh, okay. good.
5: Yeah. Go ahead,
4: second question no. then the second question is uh, You know On my okay. separation On my separation physical Right I um, claimed um, GERD right But was denied by the VA But again After one year of separation uh, I went in and had a scope Completed and And sure enough the um, Doc Pretty much said, yep. You have, um, uh, you know, acid reflux. You know, like, well, yeah, yeah, acid reflux. Not so much GERD, but acid reflux. So I guess uh, with that being said, I don't know if that could be secondary to something, or how would I go about claiming that as well? Or, yeah. So th- that's my two questions. Yeah. Yep. So GERD, you had symptoms, you had symptoms of GERD in service? Pretty much. You said you claimed it. Yeah, yeah, my GERD, Yeah, my symptoms were in service, so. I claimed it and then they had me go to uh one of those um I guess, you know, examinations uh with a private like provider and I guess yeah. they didn't um feel that I had it, but it's ironic when I went to the VA uh hospital, like I said it was after a year. Um, yeah. you know, and sure enough they ran that scope and they was like, Yep, you have it so yeah. it's after a year, mm-hmm. so I'm just trying to figure yeah. out how
5: to go no.
4: about doing it. Yeah. No. Um, well, but yeah, you need they
5: need nexus opinions. The first thing, the first thing I say about the GERD though is make sure you get that checked up every year because that that GERD can turn into cancer. It can go to something called Barrett's esophagus and that can turn into throat cancer. And that's pretty, pretty deadly. It only happens to about five or ten percent of people, but you want to make sure it gets cleared up because that's like a medical like a medical problem. You got to make sure you keep on top of. So, um, we see that a lot where you have symptoms in service, like for the GERD, and then, then you go outside for a QTC exam. The VA has strict rules on the QTC exam, and oftentimes will deny it. But um, I could write an excess letter about that. And what I would do is say that the GERD symptoms were present in service and you had them continuously throughout afterwards. would we'll do a lay letter about that, and then I can use that scope and say the GERD was connected to the service. There's some strict rules about that, that one year time period. Bill could talk about some of those rating rules, but the medical. It makes lots of sense to me. Now, the GERD can be a nice cause for your sleep apnea, and I do that a lot. I've got nice literature that talks about GERD
4: causing sleep apnea, so I would do that probably as a secondary condition
5: to the GERD and, and catch your sleep apnea that way.
4: That's well, I've already, already nice. been diagnosed with sleep apnea, Doctor Bash. Yep. Are so I have, a, yeah, I have a rating for that. I have a okay, so good. yeah, I do All the sleep right. apnea machine right. and I have right. a rating.
5: And the same thing goes like for the diabetes. Now, your symptoms in the service, sometimes they have strict rules about what they'll allow, but for me, if your symptoms are there, I can write a Nexus letter about diabetes starting in the service and
0: then continue afterwards.
5: Yeah, and, would like to look for a I'm, I'm curious.
0: Look for, yeah. look, I, look, I'm like curious. A you say uh, diagnosis of diabetes was more than one year after service, but just how long after service?
4: You say how long after service? Let me see. So I, I separated and uh, um, let's see. I had my exam in December 2014, so it was around about 2017, right? Um, and the ironic part, yeah. The ironic part was for my retirement physical. I think I had high high blood sugar levels then, so the examining physician,
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know, opted to say, "Well, hey." I want you to. I'm gonna put you on this medication. I want you to come back uh, for me to do your lab work for my retirement physical, and then once my blood sugars were within control, then of course he didn't write it up with the diabetes as well, which I found to be ironic. <laughs> yeah. So you had, had well,
0: prescriptive, Those are That's some great. That's some great documentation. If we get our hands on it. Um, that shows the. Uh, Uh, the elevated blood sugar, sugar, um, and treatment for it. Now, Dr. Bash can take a look at those values, what medication was used, and Dr. Bash, after he takes a look at those and, and sees what they were, could decide for us, could opine that, that represented the onset of diabetes. Now, diabetes is a disease of the endocrine system, and it's been deemed by VA as chronic disease. So if Dr. Bash finds that record that shows that test and the treatment um, and concludes that that was diabetes, then subsequent manifestations, however remote from service, are, by definition, Service connected, and so that that is that's something that can be won. Um, you know, diabetes is very insidious; it's very slow developing. Uh, it didn't happen, you know, in a year. <laughs> it it, right. uh, it took time to uh, manifest to the degree. Uh, first, there were some symptoms that brought you in for care, um, and you probably gave that doctor.
4: Um, a history. Um, you, well, no, actually, it was for know, my retirement. Cause it was for my separation physical, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they just, you know, I guess the standard practice they do lab work, right?
0: Yeah,
4: yeah, so, yeah that part. Sorry, I didn't mean to confuse you.
0: That part, yeah. I understand. It was, it was a separation physical when you had a test and some medication. Now you said you were diagnosed several years after service, like three years, I think it was. Yeah. Now, when you when you went in and got that diagnosis, the doctor typically will ask you, well, what brings you here, and how long have you had this problem? And your answer could give us great insight as to when that began, and that, that's some very relevant and very important evidence. We get our hands on that, and uh, that work that was done in service sounds like it could be a very strong case uh, just based on this initial conversation. What, what, Bill's, what Bill's talking about is continuous symptoms.
5: The symptoms he had during that, that gap period are very important. It's an okay. ongoing process. Yeah. In my mind, when I hear that story about the treatment, that's such a presumptive diagnosis because that doctor made the decision in his mind that you had diabetes and starting to treat it right off the bat. So. That's good. What, what caused the diabetes? Do you have it? Is there? A, were you exposed to toxins, or
4: you know, was there anything that caused it? Well, that's the thing. I don't know. Uh, I did serve uh-huh. um, in the first Gulf War, right? Uh-huh. I don't know yeah. if there's any correlation there uh-huh. with the you know environmental concerns, uh-huh. but yeah. um, but I noticed um, you know when upon returning from the Persian Gulf, you know, back in ninety
3: uh,
4: one time frame. Yeah. That my vitality and everything wasn't the same yeah. as right. prior to going over yeah. there, right? In right. so, so, case in point, yeah. I was gonna say case in point was like even though I give you an example, so like even I would I would train like you know just to be the you know uh, physically fit soldier that I can be, and it seemed mm-hmm. like I you know I, I don't care how much I train, uh, I could never get to like a like a peak. Um, level of fitness, because just the way my body felt, right? Um, Breathing? You know, whatever was going on. Was it breathing? you have problems with your lungs? I'm I'm sorry to say again?
5: Did you have problems with your lungs, breathing problems?
4: Yeah, it seemed like my lungs, yeah, muscles, all that, yeah. Well, yeah, so
5: there's a couple ways. Like Bill said, one way is to do the continuous symptoms from service, and another way, to think about it as the future exposed to some toxins, which can cause diabetes straight out. And the third thing you mentioned was maybe you might have some pulmonary disease, too, because a lot of soldiers are exposed to dust and aerosolized toxins, and they have lung disease, which decreases their vitality. So it might even be the a claim for lung diseases to look at, too.
4: And I'm glad you brought up the lungs, uh, Dr. Bash, because, like, I've, you know, throughout my career, like, experienced wheezing, you know, difficulty breathing, and uh, they had me do the pulmonary function test as a part of yeah. my separation physical, and they said mm-hmm. that the ranges were within normal ranges for me blowing into that tube. But people yeah. who serve, like, in Persian Gulf, uh, they say there's another test that's yeah. more appropriate right. that DOD right, right. there's, there's, yeah. didn't right. uh, administer to me. Yeah,
5: right. Yeah, there's a couple of special tests you can do. It, it, what happens you breathe that stuff in, the lungs are like a filter and it gets in the interstitium, which is like those little walls between the alveoli, and it gets plugged right. up, and the air can't get across. So what you do is you do this test called a diffusion test, and they give you a gas to breathe, and they measure your blood and see how much gets across. And a lot of times that test will show some, some lung disease. Another test that I do sometimes is a, is a thin-slice high-resolution CT scan, and you can use that to try and look at the images and see if you can see some thickening thick, you know, of those little walls. So those are two specialized tests that, in a case like this. In my order, and see if we have some positive results and then try and help you get uh, connected to that. So, um,
4: okay. yeah, it's good, well, good questions. Okay. Well, thank you. I definitely have to follow Bill, up with you uh, after this session.
5: Yeah. Hey, Bill, did you have any more words on legal aspects of
0: it or ratings? Ask? Yeah, I, that's uh, certainly something we need to explore. Um, and, of course, if it turns out that there is uh, no explanation for the symptoms and it's an undiagnosed illness that's affecting you, that could possibly also be presumed to be service-connected. Um, or um, we spoke before about a multi-system undiagnosed disease that's uh, uh, presenting symptomatic uh, limitations. That VA is empowered to grant presumptive service connection in Gulf War veterans. So that's oh, something Carl, we'll need to
4: explore.
5: Hey, Carl, do you understand what Bill just said?
4: Yeah, about the uh, undiagnosed? Uh, yeah. I believe so, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, not, it's like a, it's like a uh, you know joker card. So sometimes there's diseases that we don't know about even in medicine and there's diseases that are in the war zone that we don't know about. So VA recognizes that these things are mystery mystery diseases and
4: I give you credit for it, okay, so I do have one last question um mm-hmm. so like let me actually you so based on what I've shared with you all today, like what's your typical like um you know rate or you know fees to to you know like i mean just give me a ballpark like what would you know it cost for me to get this address yeah. so that I can file
5: yeah. Well, I, I do my pricing kind of individual with each person because if I say something on the radio, then everybody's gonna say, "Hey, that's the price for everybody." So it all depends on okay. what, how thick the record is and how much we might have other medical opinions and we might do more. You know, more we might have six claims by the time we're done instead of one or two. But you call me; we'll talk about it in the phone and then we'll set up the price and then and then we'll go off to it.
4: Okay. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I definitely will be giving you a call.
2: Ah. You
5: want to go so ahead one more, one and give me their number, Dr. Bash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good way to get me is to my other guy that does my schedule, and I skip. And he's at 925-381-7561.
4: Okay, so nine two five you fast. Yeah, 925. Yep, 381-7561. 7561. 7561. Okay, so 925-381-7561.
5: He's in California, so just call Skip up and then he gets me the next day or two and then we make a little 15 half hour uh, minute uh, call. And okay. um, it's good it's good news for you now that VA is processing claims pretty quickly. I had a guy last week that had his, his VA exam and five days later he has claim processed. So uh,
4: wow. uh,
5: it's important for us to get the claims done up right at first that they get processed quickly
2: now.
4: Right. Okay.
2: Well, that sounds, sounds good. Thanks for calling in.
4: Well, thank you. I mean, so I, I guess if I just want to listen to the rest of the podcast, is that possible or?
2: Oh yeah, I'll just yep. say right where you at. Oh, okay. Yeah, you might wanna have another questioning, Bob no. <laughs> Jump right, jump right in. My, uh,
5: Dr. Bash, my um my new uh phone friendly website goes online tomorrow, so call you can check that out and find me that way too.
4: Okay. Just just
5: Google Dr. Bash. Yep, yep. Well, yep.
0: Good.
5: Yep, Google will find okay. you. Google Google veterans veterans medical opinion, you can Google that and you'll get fifty three million pages and I show up on the first line something like that's crazy. <laughs>
4: So we're going to talk about
5: some, builders have like DBQs maybe. So my, my normal yeah. package for the caller is, like, I do an extra letter, number one. Number two, I do DBQs. Number three, I'll do testing. The caller just talked about some questions and we had some testing. Number four, we'll do, like, a lay letter. Number five, we'll do, like, my, like my resume. And number six, we might do, you know, add your medical information or other doctor opinions. So, like, six parts to it might be 100 pages. Send them all in you know three or four ways so you can't lose them. But one of those big components is the DVQs and so um, so well Bill could give us a
0: history on DVQs a little bit, we can talk about how we use them on a daily basis. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Uh, that, that was some years ago they began, and um, I think one of the motivation was uh, two parts. one, you know we, we had uh, general requests in VA, where those of us on the rating board would want an examination, we would order an examination, and what we would get back sometimes would provide a lot of good data, but would leave very important relevant findings off the exam and didn't answer specific questions we needed in order to select the proper evaluation. So VA uh, established a committee and started uh, developing these uh, DBQ forms. And these forms were designed with the intent to solicit the specific findings the rater has to have in order to compare that to the rating schedule. And the second prong of that effort was to make these forms available to veterans so that they could have the form completed by a doctor of their choice and it would solicit the relevant data from that doctor. And part of the reasoning was the more uh, veterans who get their own doctor to complete the forms, the fewer comp exams we have to do, and it eases the burden on VA uh, to have to schedule so many exams. Um, I think another...
5: Mm -hmm. these dbqs are really tricky they could be 177 questions and each one has a bunch of laws behind it bill talked about me the
0: amputation profit keep going bill sorry yeah there some of them get pretty lengthy because there are so many um uh, questions posed uh as as the courts review the rating schedule and and the VA's uh, decisions of the Board of Veterans Appeals, and they they might come up with a, um, a need to remand the case from the court back to the board to say, well, look, you made this conclusion, but the examiner didn't answer that question. Uh, so by soliciting the question uh, on the DBQ, um, that will reduce the number of cases that have to be remanded. That – and uh, sometimes the court then will impose additional requirements uh, that VA must address before evaluating the disability. Well, one of the problems is the need for VA to follow its own rules. And many times the court had to remand cases to simply say to VA, VA you're required to follow your own regulations and so if you give an examination and your examination doesn't describe functional impairment on use or after uh, repeated motion then you have to get a new exam that describes that because your regulations say that's part of the evaluation and so the VA would then add uh, a criteria to discuss that. Uh, Another one happened again uh, when there was a a need to uh, compare to the sound side um, and some other criteria that the court discussed in a case, uh, it was called Kauaia. And the (coughs) VA then incorporated that into the examination form to prompt the doctor to answer those specific questions. Uh, things like on weight bearing and not on weight bearing by comparison. So this process evolves and there's sort of a feedback loop between the field and the committee going back and forth and constantly massaging these documents, generally increasing the number of questions on them. And so so And, and uh, you know, sometimes, um, we Dr. Batch and I were just reviewing a, an interesting case. Uh, sometimes what we get uh, from the VA exam is incomplete. And it's incomplete because they didn't do the follow-up exam. And, uh, for, for example, if, since we were on the diabetes topic earlier, Diabetes, as it continues to develop, I think somebody's got an open mic uh, going on here doing dishes or something, <laughs> but diabetes um, tends to progress over time. And as it does, it then starts to present complications like some numbness and tingling in the toes, uh, perhaps some cataracts. Um, you know, so we, we have these complications that arise as diabetes progresses. So the intent and what the manual provides is if you have a veteran with diabetes and you're going to try to evaluate it, you get the DBQ for diabetes. That examiner will identify all the complications that are present. Then the each of those complications goes to a specialist in that area. For example, if it's causing a uh, diabetic neuropathy, it goes for a neurology exam for the peripheral nerves. Uh, If it's starting to affect the renal system, it goes to a genitourinary examiner or an ophthalmologist for those complications of vision. So sometimes we'll get a basic exam, like in in the case Dr. Bash and I'd recently reviewed, where the veteran has Parkinson's disease. Well, the Parkinson's disease is is presenting a variety of complications, uh, one of which uh, is neurologic, obviously. And it's causing the patient to have tremors. But we don't have the follow-up neurology exam it'll tell us which nerve distributions this disease is presenting. So we don't know if it's the um, median nerve, the uh, lower radicular group, or all the radicular groups. Um, Not to get too technical, but it makes a difference in the rating schedule which nerves are affected could carry a higher evaluation. Uh, We just simply don't have that neurology exam so we don't know what the evaluation should be. Um, so so it, in that case, it, we're we're uh, going to be seeking some new exams. So, this is Dr. Bash, yes, yeah, so like what Bill's saying is those
5: DVQs, they're complicated in themselves because the questions all have a lot of laws behind them. So the average doctor doesn't necessarily know the ramifications of that. And also, the average doctor doesn't know that you can get layers and layers of DVQs like Bill was talking about, where one DVQ points to another and you have different systems that are involved. And also, you know, the doctor can, can do the DVQs as a non-specialist, and that sort of forces the VA to do their own sets of DVQs with their own specialists, maybe, if they don't like it. So you can use the DVQs to your advantage in a lot of ways to understand how they're, how they're put together and the importance of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Important tool and it's important to use correctly.
5: Now, we have a, lady, I have a lady that does some lay letter writing for us. Is Gail on there? I don't know if Gail's on there. Maybe not. Anyway, she's going to come on later on and talk just us a little bit about lay letters, another part of how they interface with DBQs and the Nexus letter. So we had a lady last week that had had um, upper, middle, and lower back. You want to talk about that a little bit?
0: Oh, that's very interesting Very interesting area. Um, my goodness, we have a noise here in the background. Um, yes, a veteran uh, a veteran had a skiing accident off a cliff. It was a large, a very... Very long fall. Um, appears to have lost some consciousness. Filed a claim and said lower, middle, and upper back. Um, and they granted the lumbar. Okay. Well, now the question is, what about? You know, she claimed three segments: lower, middle, and upper. Well, the spine, by definition, has three segments—lumbar, and uh, thoracic, and cervical. So, what about the other two? <laughs> you know, um, the VA just left that um, unanswered. And so, uh, what, what we're trying to do now is to help you understand that the original claim was for three segments of the spine, and by definition. That includes uh, the thoracic and the cervical, as well as the lumbar. And we're hoping to be able to persuade VA to take service connection back to the original data claim. Um, it's a reasonable argument, and we hope, uh, we hope VA gets a reasonable response. <laughs> but there was, um, it, it's very interesting that, that Dr. Bash noted in her records there were uh, some bruising on the back at the uh, level of the scapulae. Um, and, uh, of course, um, Dr. Bash recognized that that provides corroboration that, that its with impact would affect the neck and the head, uh, because she could possibly have landed like that without uh, applying these forces onto the neck in a whiplash sort of manner, and also onto the head with uh, loss of consciousness and um, the the veteran herself actually had very little recollection of what happened after impact and didn't actually realize that she was unconscious. But as it turns out, she's not aware of anything until uh, her friends came to her rescue. And so there's a a length period of time there. So this loss of consciousness and a, And a uh, forcible blow to the head um, is one of the indications to suggest the possibility of traumatic brain injury. And she now has maybe five symptoms consistent with a diagnosis of TBI. So we're we're, um, anxious to get her examined to uh, confirm or rule out the diagnosis and to uh, identify those symptoms. And, And if correct, that would be a substantial more uh, compensation available to her than uh, she realized. <laughs> that, so we're hoping to be hoping for some good things for that case. So that case that case brings up the idea of
5: a thousand questions. You know, Bill and I, when we talk to patients, we ask a thousand questions. And <clears throat> like the first caller, pretty soon you find out he has lung disease and secondary complications. And this patient, you find out that she has neck disease and maybe you know head injury. So um, you know, appropriate questioning with a curious mind and with the mind to try and help the patient can make a big difference versus you know closing the questions and trying to decrease the the amount of disability. And guys, we've got another, another quick call. Call. Okay, good.
3: Harry Cole six one two. Do you have a question for the staff? Are you in there from Minnesota?
1: Yes. This is Dale. Thank you. Hi. It's Dr. Oh, our Gail? I work with Dr. Bash.
3: Oh, okay. Yep, yes, okay. Hi. Hi. Okay. Welcome to the show, Dale. Um, w-
1: thanks. I was calling because um, Dr. Bash and I wanted to let the listeners know how important lay statements are to their whole claim package. Right, Dr. Bash.
5: That's right. That's right. So, um, so Gail's doing some lay letter coaching, and um, Gail, you look at the nexus and you look at the DBQs and try and weave them together that a way. Is that right. Correct. Yes.
1: Um, I. It's almost like a bridge when you when you do a nexus and you do DBQs. Your lay statements are as, as in my opinion equally important because you need to discuss all the disabilities in your lay statement that you're discussing in your nexus. So, you need to start out with what happened to you, what event or injury you had, what happened right after the event or injury. Did you did you go to the clinic? Did you have a profile? And then you want to discuss what's happening with your life right now and talk about specific situations that you may not be able to do anymore due to your injury. Yeah, how much time
5: do you spend on a lay letter analysis of somebody?
1: Um, d- well, depending on how many different disabilities we're talking about, sometimes you can group them together. If you have a lot of spine disabilities, say you have neck and shoulder problems, you can talk about those in one letter. If you have PTSD, that should be a separate letter. letter, but I would say that each letter is an hour or two with the interview, discussing and talking about the things that you can't do anymore, how you were injured. So, I mean, one letter sometimes can take three, four hours.
5: Yeah. So Gail's doing a good service for us because that's a lot of time that I might not be able to put in and Bill can't put in, you know, four hours on education necessary just for the lay letter part of it. And then Bill, Bill right. knows about the laws, right, Bill, the laws that
0: help us establish lay letters importance? Yes, and, and I might mention that historically um, the success that Dr. Bash has had has often been predicated on his ability to listen to the veteran and to consider what the veteran is saying in the way of that history of symptoms and in this way We have seen Dr. Bash win a great number of cases by disagreeing with the VA examiner and by pointing out that the VA examiner failed to discuss that lay history, which is crucial. I mean, and uh, oftentimes I had to try to coach some of my uh, Raiders who I worked with to help them understand that the law does not require a history of treatment and diagnosis. The law the
2: considers.
0: The law does not require consistency or continuity of treatment or examination it requires a consideration of the history of symptoms, symptoms, Mm -hmm. not diagnosis or treatment. And so many times, particularly with many patients with multiple sclerosis that we've had, many times these patients have no clue what the symptoms of multiple sclerosis might include. So you really have to ask them about their experiences to try to draw out from them symptoms that they've had in the past that they didn't consider to be part of their multiple sclerosis because they didn't have the knowledge to understand that. A lot of our multiple sclerosis wins came as a result of Dr. Bash being able to put together that patient's history of symptoms and that no one else bothered soliciting, okay,
2: Mm -hmm. And
0: then pointing to these as evidence of this waxing and waning early history of MS that the patient didn't realize was MS. And in this way, get those symptoms dated to service or dated to that seven-year presumptive period after service and get a win and get compensated. Crucial.
1: Right. And and I agree with that, Bill, because when I'm talking to the veterans and trying to pull out some of that information, for instance, with a PT, somebody that has PTSD and they're unable to like hold a full-time job, when you get into a conversation with them and you start talking about what kind of um, job that they're working in, and sometimes they're chaotic environments and they just can't understand why, they can't hold a job when there's so much background noise going on. And so you start getting to those kind of things and explaining it, and it kind of becomes more clear to them. And they want to blame themselves, of course, but it's a symptom of PTSD. Same with being able to just little things like when you have back problems or radiating pain and you can't sit on the floor with your kids anymore and play with them, or you can't go to their after-school programs. Those are little teeny um, situations that I like to write about because it kind of, for me, it brings the rater to, oh, I have kids It would be horrible if I couldn't go do those kind of things with them. So try and bring in kind of examples like that into our letters.
5: This brings yeah. up the whole idea of yeah. being I mean, stoic. A lot of times veterans, you know, aren't supposed to complain in service and be stoic. And right. So they, all, all all listeners should know that if they talk to Alice, they, Part of our team, or Skip, or myself, or Gail, or Bill, or even uh, Megan, feel free to try and right. tell us what your pr- problems are, so that we can sort of root out where you are in your situation. Hey, Bill, what's the raw, what's the laws? Right, Bill, what's the laws about my letters. Oh, you, t- you said about that, but you don't need to quote those. You I'll say. About. Say again, Doc? all those laws. There's some laws. I need to quote those. But there's two or three different case laws and studies that talk about the value of lay letters. The judges, the judges and the courts have codified
0: this too, huh? Yes, the the court all along, case after case would come up to the court, and the court would set aside the denial by BVA with instruction that they are required to consider the lay evidence. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's finally making its way into the guidance that VA shares with its employees. Uh, the, the manual, M21, we always go back to that because it serves as the guidebook for all the employees at VA. And it, its current version now um, does a pretty good job of instructing people that the statement of a veteran – now, I've got to make a caveat here, the sworn statement of a veteran,
5: mm-hmm. okay? In
0: order to be evidence, it must be sworn. So that's why if you've ever looked on the VA Form 21-4138, which is just a big blank paper with lines on it, down the bottom, there is that affirmation. I hereby swear and affirm this is true and correct in my best knowledge and belief, okay? Um <laughs> That makes uh, it a, a,
2: it, a Bill, sworn uh, Bill, statement. Yeah? Um, yeah? Would it be advisable to even have it notarized?
0: not, it necessary. May not be necessary, not but
2: uh, oh, it wouldn't,
0: wouldn't Just, make um, it, it, it would,
2: um,
0: yeah, obviously, if it's before a notary, it's sworn and there could be no debate, but as long as it has that statement, on there somewhere that you see on the 4138. I do hereby swear and affirm this is true and correct to the best of my knowledge and belief. Long as that's on there, it's evidence. Now, okay. I will say this. I have I have never in my experience, 40 whatever years, I have never seen a decision maker reject the evidence because it's not sworn. But because VA has now taken the time to amend the manual and put it in there, that's a red flag. That's mm-hmm. a red flag to me. If the central office thinks it's, a, it's an important enough an issue to change the manual and to highlight the need for the affirmation, to me that says we better make sure that all of our statements contain that affirmation. <laughs> <laughs> now uh, the the manual actually says now to accept that veteran's sworn statement as factual unless there's evidence to the contrary okay so if a veteran says to us i was uh, on board an aircraft carrier at Yankee Station off the coast of Vietnam. And I took a flight over to Da Nang and uh, picked up, you know, some supplies and brought them back to the ship. Okay? He tells us, his sworn statement is, he did that. That is evidence that he set foot in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Okay? Unless... VA adjudicator has a reason to disagree, then it's a fact. And I, I recall one particular instance where I made a substantial award of herbicide-related disease compensation, <laughs> and, and management questioned me and said, oh, why did you do that?" And I looked back at him and said, why shouldn't I? And he said, well, his military records don't confirm that he set foot in Vietnam. I say, of course not. I said to him, okay. What did he tell us?" Well, he said he landed in Da Nang and took a hop out to the carrier. I got there. Okay. We do know that he was in Southern California on day one. And we know within days he's on the on the aircraft carrier in the South China Sea. Now I gotta tell you, buddy, at that time we had no aircraft that could take off in California and land on an aircraft carrier (laughs) in the South China Sea. (laughs) (laughs) So and that is not typical. The Nang was the support facility supporting the ships at Yankee Station off the coast. It was routine. For personnel, mail, supplies to be shuttled to the carrier from Nang. that was routine. And I said, "Don't you know that?" He said, "No." I said, "Well, you need to know things like this if you want to do this work. You need to know." Okay. He said, "It. It's consistent with history. It's a fact." He gets his money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and what? Kurt? quite sir? But he got his money. <laughs>
1: You know, and the thing that I like there, about Dr. Judge, uh, Ash's... Um, oh, sorry.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, Judge Hagel on the court wrote a very interesting opinion some years ago um, and uh, remanded a, a VA denial of a herbicide claim and, and said just that. Um, he, he said that lay evidence is sufficient to prove a person's whereabouts. You cannot use the absence of documentation as proof of the negative. You have to point to other evidence, like if this fellow um, was in his, in his service records, it placed him at a different place and time. Like this one, I had this one case, um, an army cook, southern part of Vietnam, um, swore that he uh, fought with the Marines at Khe Sanh. And when I looked at his records, I saw that uh, he had arrived in Vietnam the year after the battle at Khe Sanh. Okay? So I knew he did not fight with the Marines at Khe Sanh. So, you know, in that kind of circumstance, yes, you should deny. Um, But in, uh, in a particular instance where the veteran is giving us a sworn statement of where he was, when he was, what he experienced, what his symptoms were that he recalls, unless we have evidence to the contrary, it's to be accepted as factual. And then the doctor makes the link between those symptoms and the current disease or residuals of injury that we're looking for and that's based on lay history of symptoms it helps if we have treatment it helps if we have some other documentation even witnesses but it's not necessary in all cases and so um, there's still plenty of room to help uh, educate the raiders on that portion of the law and get a, uh, more of these things Granted, in that matter. Right. And and, and with
1: Dr. Bash, <laughs> with Dr. Bash's um, nexuses, what's really great about them is when he's giving his opinion on each disability, he actually refers to the lay statement in his nexus. So he has read the 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 lay statements that we, together with the veteran, work on and forward them to Dr. Bash, and he uses them in his nexus. So that's where it becomes. The a whole package. You got your um, DBQs, the nexus, the lay statements, any kind of medical evidence that is attached to it. So I think it's just a whole complete claim package when you do all of it together.
2: And uh, you work Absolutely. with the uh, veteran to assist them in, in uh, developing the lay statement. Because a lot of yeah. veterans wouldn't even know where to begin, of course. Uh, right, and yeah. that's
1: and that's where the whole conversation starts when you when you just sit and have just a normal conversation on the phone and just tell me about what's going on with your life. And then you're able to build that.
5: I noticed that about you know a few years ago I found that it's hard for veterans to write those lay letters. So then Gail's come along now to help us and then we have Megan also. Because it's an important part of it, and um, so we're trying to make it easier for the veteran
0: to get his this uh, story out.
1: Yeah, spots. Yes, thoughts,
5: yes, paper, yes,
0: basically. And,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, and with with our understanding of the medicine from Dr. Bash of the rules, okay, we're in a position to be able to ask the questions of the veteran to probe those. Pers- is the precise questions that VA exactly. needs to understand, and the veteran can't do that on their own because they don't know what information to volunteer. We can exactly. help understand, and and in this way, get an accurate recollection of their history of symptoms, and then Dr. Bass can explain why that tips the scale in favor of a conclusion that this is due to the service and injury as opposed to a car accident after service, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or as an example, you know. Well, that spine injury case was
5: a classic example because the patient gave us the lay information about the scapula, the big bruise that she had, you know, so that relates to nerves in the neck and the whole mechanism of injury, so it really helped us.
1: And then patients with TBI and PTSD, they really have a more difficult time kind of organizing their thoughts. That's why the conversation is so important, because then, then I can ask a question, like, oh, yeah, that happens to me all the time. And then they remember other parts of the story, other things that happened to them during the day, which is what I need to help them write their letter.
5: Yeah, it's particularly important that people yeah. have head injuries. Multiple sclerosis because they have a hard time sometimes formulating their thoughts. That's exactly right.
3: hmm
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, there, there, I recall one case where the veteran uh, was stationed in Thailand and he recalls that he had to land in Tantanute in Vietnam. Okay? I said, Well when? And he had a really hard time. So I started talking to him about holidays. And where were you on uh, Christmas that year? What did you do at Christmas time? And he says, Oh, oh. I saw the Bob Hope Christmas show at Thomson that year. <laughs> Bingo. Google. <laughs> I said, Who was in the show? He said, The gold diggers. Right, there it is, right there. Printed <laughs> newspaper article, Bob Hope and the Gold Diggers at Thomson Newt. <laughs> So that's mm-hmm. evidence that tends to support and you've got to trigger those memories and, and help exactly. them out, particularly with patients with emotional disorders, um, neuro disorders that affect the brain, um, memory issues with like PTSD. Oh my goodness. You know, they they need help. They need mm-hmm. help to understand it. I don't I don't call it coaching, I call it soliciting. Give me right. your history. And so many times that history proves the case. You know, it's just, it's just happened so often.
1: Well, and then oh, I, I've noticed that a lot of people, they're embarrassed to talk about the things that are happening to them, you know. So you have to kind of start out with just, hey, what's going on? And are you married? Do you have kids? And then you get more comfortable, and then they feel more comfortable to talk about things that are happening in their life because not everybody wants to talk about all the private things in
0: their life going on. That's right. That's right. And and Gail, it takes a great skill like yours to be able to make them comfortable and to share in that way. Yeah.
1: Well, my husband always says that I have many words during the day to say. So I always tell him, lucky that I'm talking to other people now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So so I'm doing something good with all my words.
0: (laughs) I, I also observe. I also observe that patients with urinary and bowel dysfunction uh, mm-hmm. are a little hesitant to talk about those things. And Thank I think much. they're um, oftentimes undercompensated um, for not sharing the fact that they're unable to retain contents. Uh, you know, and, and so that's something that is another part of this equation for a lot of patients that we need to, um, you yeah. know, so that's a very Bashir, good point. Get them to Dr. talk Bashir,
5: about You know, I, I, teach, I teach medical students for a few decades, and medical students and doctors oftentimes avoid those issues too, you know. So I have my own spine injury and my own bowel and bladder problems. So I'm really comfortable about asking soldiers about that stuff because I know what my problems are and I know what kind of problems they have because they're, they're similar. And so, you know, I think Gail's good about that and the rest of our team's good. And Bill's good about that. So, with us, we're going to ask all the veterans a lot of probing, different types of questions. And I said, teach medical students. As long as we have a, a good reason for it, we can ask anything you want. You know, so in this situation, we're asking questions to try and help you, you know, define your disease. And how many times you have pads, or how much leakage you have, is all very important questions for the for the rater as far as the schedule goes and your benefits.
1: Right. And and how that affects their daily life. Some, some vets that I've talked to are in the bathroom, you know, 20 times a day and up all night long. They might have sleep apnea, but they still have to get up because they're going to the bathroom all night. You know, those are symptoms that, you know, are disability. They're disabling symptoms and they need to be part of Mm -hmm. your disability.
2: So well, it sounds like you guys have put together a whole new program here, Dr. Batch.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, uh, I'm slowly, slowly filling up
5: the team. But, <laughs> all right, all right. The, you know, the VA is getting harder and harder to get these cases through. You know, they you have to have DVQs, you have to have Nexus, you have to have lay letters, you have to have testing. All these things we're doing are in response to what the VA needs for their the rating. You know, Bill tells us that they've kind of restricted the raters' ability to get testing in. The rate doesn't have time to talk to the patient, so we're we're really just trying to provide what the VA needs to help them rate the patient correctly.
2: Well, yeah, and uh, the more you can cut back on the remands and denials, uh, the smoother the whole operation goes. Uh, uh, you've saved be a lot, a lot <laughs> of, a lot of, uh, you know, heartaches. 'Cause uh, to get a remand or a denial is that's pretty rough to take when you know it's gonna cost you mm-hmm. another two or three years or four or five. Right. Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to avoid
5: that dreaded supplemental appeal, you know? That's gonna yeah. be that's gonna be a little thorny when I start when it starts getting cranked up, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah, yes, if you
2: go
0: in with a stronger my point. What's that, Bill? It's always been my experience that that it is easier to have someone to agree with you than it is to change their mind. So it's better mm. and faster if we give the adjudicators all the information they need to make the decision up front, load it all up front, and then make it easy for them to agree. That's much easier That's to do point. than to try to say to VA, you're wrong. <laughs> Because the reaction is, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's better if we can get it all up front to begin with. And, but still, there's going to be some mistakes, even like mine. <laughs> right, Doc? <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I,
2: take, you can take the argument eh? out out of it. You have won your case.
0: Yeah, so – Yeah. Well, I, got to, I got to thank Doc, too, because he explained to VA the anatomy of the shoulder. They, uh, they service-connected my shoulder and said, uh, service-connected for the rotator cuff pair and not service-connected for the muscles. <laughs> I <don't> know, well, <laughs> what's a rotator cuff pair? <laughs> right, 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 right. muscle. <laughs> It's kind of important. important because I had those muscles sewn back together. So, <laughs> so, so it's Bill all good be, now.
5: <laughs> that's a bit, an important point that Bill brings up. You know, the idea that if you have a missile wound that goes through your arm, it's going to damage nerve, muscle, vessel. You know, so the VA oftentimes, like the shoulder, Bill, they might give you, you know, DJD that will do a little bit of arthritis and call it a day, right, where you might have also muscle and nerve damage, which is a very common thing that the VA doesn't. Think about when they read. Okay.
0: right, Bill. True. True. Yeah, and they oftentimes wouldn't think of the muscles. Other uh, the, the training that I experienced uh, was somewhat lacking. Um, take for example the hand. Um, it seems that someone gets a hand injury, they're given a hand exam by the ortho. Okay, and okay, so you have some pain. And your fingers all touch your palms, and they have a reasonably full range of motion. So here's your 0%. Well, under 4.71A, under the 5200 series for the bones and joints, that's right. But under 4.73 muscles, it says the hand is so compact a structure that the minimum rating is 10%. You can't assign a hand injury less than 10%, no matter if you can and close up all the way. <laughs> so, the okay, little, it's one of those things okay, that experience gives you.
2: Yeah, we're out of time, folks. Uh, Dr. Bash, if you want to give your phone number out again, real quick. Yep, 925
5: 381 7561 for Skipper, Google, Dr. Bash, you're getting me.
2: Okay, I appreciate you guys coming on. It, that's been a real important show here and uh, I hope uh, the veterans out there was able to take notes. If not, this will be in the archives. Uh, feel free to go to hadit.com and uh, uh, bring it up and and y'all can listen to it again. But,
1: uh, I just want you to know, Gerald, I've listened to all of them back three years. They're very, it's very good information. Yes.
2: We try to put out factual information as best we can. You do. Uh, sometimes, uh,
3: uh, you know,
2: we have, we have our issues. (laughs) (laughs) That's our goal. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate it. Keep everyone informed, uh, uh, yeah, uh, feel free to call John or I anytime uh, if you have any questions or comments or something you'd like a topic you'd like us to hit on. I'd uh, be only too glad to. I'll do that. Work with. You. Cause,
1: uh, okay, Doctor Bash. I'll talk to you tomorrow. See you later, Bill. Yep. See you. Later. Okay.
2: okay. Have a good
1: night. Good good, good day. Thanks for you. Okay. radio. Yep. Yep.
2: Yep. Yep. Yep.
3: Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. I don't well, think we've accomplished I don't think we've accomplished the mission here. I believe we're about halfway through, so we're gonna to have to do this again real soon in order to try to uh to uh at least get some more additional information out there because
2: yeah, this is probably did, the most
3: popular yeah. This is the yeah. most popular series we've had, so we need to increase our increase a little bit if you if you guys
2: have time to do shows.
5: Yeah, uh,
2: Yeah. we'll get another one scheduled. Uh, We've been having some technical issues. Um, My machine quit taking quarters and uh, now it wants half dollars. I don't know why. But we (laughs) keep working. (laughs) But anyway, thanks for... For calling in, you got to do a good job. Welcome.
5: Thanks for the show. It's good information.
3: Yeah. You, bye. All right. Thank you, guys. Yeah. <laughs> bye. Well, Drew, it's uh, probably no reason to play the ending, so.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we done run out of time. That's
3: all right. Well we'll
2: do this again right. here. We'll try uh,
3: to get I these think, guys back on in a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah. Oh yes. i have not replaying uh, the thing a couple times. That's uh uh yeah, that's some good information there. People can use that. Yep. So and that's maintained as see to it that, that we're able to get the word out to everyone that can listen that's you know, get us some benefit. Okay. Uh, oh we're looking good here. Oh yeah. A lot better
3: quality show this time.
2: Yeah, I'm 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 glad I bought this headset down there at that room. thing really did you get any background noise?
3: I got a little bit of shakiness there. I think you had a, you, you might have grabbed your headset or jump. So like you beat the dog to death or something for a minute, but it's all right.
2: Oh, but, well, I, I, don't know what i am done. I'm picking my nose, maybe.
3: <laughs> Be careful, you black eyes do that. I, it, I I know a job you can get. I know I know the hire too.
2: Yeah, a bartender? <laughs> good no, bartend. no, no, no. Go to
3: Lowe's Lowe's is hiring paint shakers.
2: A <laughs> paint shaker. Yeah. I do that. Become a paint salesman.
0: <laughs> paint shaker. <laughs> yeah. You
3: are at work shaking paint. You can you can Louise and go to Lowe's. You can buy your gravel with paint in time you get home with a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, it'd all be, right. be all matched up. All
3: right. Well, listen. I'll catch you later. Couldn't shut it down, and I'll give you a call later on. I want to.
2: I might replay this tomorrow, next day. Um, need. Okay. We'll do that. Well, and, all right. Yeah, you can. That'd be a good idea. All right. Uh, it be a good show. It is a good. it's a good be That's what we need. Very. A lot of traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, we will have. Yeah. We'll have traffic. Okay, folks. Catch you later, we'll, buddy. We'll talk to you later. Bye.